You are listening to the Brooks Snow podcast conversations to help you live in your true identity as the creator of your life. I'm your host, Brooks Snow. You have episode 117, Book Club Original Grace. Friends, today I am trying something new. For a few years, I've tossed around the idea of highlighting books that have impacted my thinking. This week, I read a book that literally blew me away. And when I sat down to write my podcast, all I wanted to talk about was this book. (laughs) So now seems as good as time as any to start a podcast book club. I'm sharing my favorite takeaways and how these ideas have impacted my life to help me be a better creator. Today's book is Original Grace by Adam Miller. Now, let me start out and say this book is for you if you have ever felt like your worthiness is determined by a checklist of do's and don'ts. If you have ever struggled to forgive, to receive, or be accepted. If you've ever felt you needed to earn love from God. If you have ever felt like grace was conditional in any way. This book is for you if you want to believe in an always loving God. If you want the atonement of Christ to be a constant source of power. If you want to know how to improve your relationships in marriage, parenting, and the world. I think I can safely say this book is for everyone. Adam Miller is a philosopher and one of my favorite modern gospel thinkers. His book is cleverly titled Original Grace as a challenge to the belief of original sin. Original sin is the belief that we are all inherently sinful, and due to the fall of Adam and Eve, we require a Savior to atone for our sins so we can return to God. I started this book thinking I didn't believe in original sin because I believe humanity is inherently good and that we are punished for our own sins and not Adam's transgression. However, as I learned more about how the doctrine of original sin influences how we interpret God's justice, I came to see I have believed in this concept of original sin far more than I expected. So let me ask you, what do you think of when you hear the word justice? Or what do you feel when you think of the justice of God? What kind of feelings come up for you? If you're like most people, you probably think of justice being a reward or punishment. Justice means if you do good, you shall have good as your reward. And if you do evil, you shall have evil as your reward. It's a cause and effect of our actions. Justice demands the law be fulfilled. This works in your favor if you do good. And of course, it works against you if you don't. The atonement of Jesus Christ is positioned as a way to satisfy the demands of justice 
while also being able to extend mercy. Someone has to pay the price for breaking the law, and Jesus is the one who steps in to make up the difference in the debt our sins bring. But of course, Adam Miller would turn everything inside out and paint a picture of justice in such a way that it made my old way of thinking fall away and reveal something far more astonishing. Justice indeed is the law. However, God's universal governing law is love. I have to read this quote from the book to explain it as beautifully and masterfully as he does. He states, according to the logic of original sin, the purpose of the law is punishment. The law's purpose is to judge what is deserved. The law is a divine mechanism for judging who deserves to suffer or not and to what degree. The point of the law is accusation. The logic of grace, on the other hand, takes the purpose of the law to be love. The law's purpose is still to judge, but now to judge what is needed. The law is a divine mechanism for judging what is needed to relieve suffering and liberate sinners. The point of the law is grace. The contrast between these two logics is sharp, where sin reasons backwards about whether someone's suffering is deserved. Grace reasons forward about how to best respond to that suffering. Where sin understands law as a tool of condemnation, grace understands God's law as a discipline of compassion. Where sin is used the law to obligate suffering, grace uses the law to command succor. Sin uses God's law to ask what is deserved. Grace uses God's law to ask what is needed. The law is about justice, not punishment. Punishment, defined as the work of returning evil to those who have done evil, can only compound evil. Punishment, as the work of giving people what they deserve, can only make the world more unjust. Justice is the art of determining what good is needed. Justice doesn't fight against itself by returning good on one occasion and evil on another. Rather, justice adopts an entirely different logic. Justice returns good for good and good for evil. Close quote. This is the whole premise of the book. God's law is not to judge what someone deserves Rather, God's law can only be used to judge what good someone needs. This blew my mind in the most amazing way. It makes sense to me that giving evil for evil only creates more evil. 
and that God is interested in creating more good. He wants to make bad men good and good men better. To do so, one must give good for evil. The way to do this is to ask the question, what is needed? Jesus teaches this original grace definition of justice on the Sermon on the Mount. He calls attention to the old model of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Justice here is practiced as a form of reward or punishment. However, Jesus teaches the higher law when he invites us to love our enemies and turn the other cheek. He's teaching us to look for what is needed rather than what is deserved. I know of no better way to build people and build Zion. What is needed? What is needed? This has become my new favorite mantra question. On a practical note, I can use this question immediately in parenting. In the old model, if my child breaks family rules and hurts another member of the family, I can issue a punishment for what I believe is deserved. However, in the new model, I can instead ask the question, what is needed? What is needed to help this child not do evil and do good instead? Not surprisingly, the answer could be as simple as, this child needs a nap, <laughs> it needs to eat, or needs loving attention, needs a hug, needs to get outside, needs time alone, or maybe needs something fun. Asking what is needed brings an entirely different response And astonishingly, the behavior is likely to improve far faster than measuring out a deserved punishment. This isn't to say we take away natural consequences of actions. However, I will respond very differently if I am asking the question, what is needed, rather than asking the question, what is deserved? What is deserved? needed. This question not only changes how I respond to others, it changes how I view my own state before God. If God is not punishing and instead is asking what is needed, then God becomes far more approachable. I can go to my heavenly parents for succor and help rather than stay away in fear of punishment or judgment. God's justice suddenly becomes a reliable source of their constant love. I can begin to view myself as someone they want to help, rather than someone unworthy and flawed or who deserves to be punished. What is needed? This question can fundamentally change how I approach even the most challenging and complex questions or relationships. This past year has been excruciatingly difficult for me in some personal relationships, as well as my faith journey, as I have encountered complex and challenging questions. I've often found myself in a place of heartbreaking judgment, both of myself and others. 
I'm now asking the question, what is needed? This question is opening me up to compassion in the most beautiful and unexpected way, especially for situations I find myself in (laughs) where I have felt stuck and lost and unseen. Imagine asking what is needed, even about the most charged moral and social questions of our day. Would this question bring about different answers and potential progress instead of getting caught up in the fight for who is right and who is wrong? What if social justice wasn't about who needed to be punished and shamed, but rather who and how we could love better? What if we asked, what is needed? What is needed for this person to feel loved and supported? (sighs) Friends, I am just scratching the surface of this book. I rarely read a book cover to cover, especially in one day. My first thought after it was done was I wanted to read it all over again, (laughs) just to keep peeling back the layers of all that is here. It's so well done. If you're curious to learn more, I invite you to check the book out for yourself. Adam covers this topic from so many different angles, and it literally left me breathless with a burning in my bosom as to the truth he was teaching. I had an increase of hope for myself, for God, and for the world. This will certainly go down as a fundamental book that has changed how I think and what I believe. What is needed? What is needed? See it. Say it. Feel it. Do it. Become it. You are a creator. Now go create something great. If you love this question, what is needed, and you wonder how to integrate this actively into your life, I can happily say that I have had some really great experiences asking this question, both in meditation, as well as using it as a prayer journal question. If either of those practices spark some curiosity for you, check out the show notes of this episode where I'll link to my free mini meditation course, as well as my podcast episode where I explain the practice of prayer journaling. This question is too good to forget about. (laughs) Find a way to ask this as soon as possible about whatever is most challenging to you right now. I promise it will not only change how you feel, but lead to some tender personal revelation that will help you be a better creator. Friend, you can do this. I am cheering you on.